Chapter Twenty Seven of Indiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Indiana by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter Twenty Seven. The day preceding her departure passed away like a dream. Indiana was afraid that it would be long and painful. It seemed to last but a moment. The silence of the neighborhood, the peaceful tranquillity within the house, were in striking contrast to the internal agitation by which Madame Delmar was consumed. She locked herself into her room to prepare the few clothes she intended to carry. Then she concealed them under her dress, and carried them one by one to the rocks at the Anzo Latinier, where she placed them in a bark basket and buried them in the sand. The sea was rough, and the wind increased from hour to hour. As a precautionary measure, the Eugène had left the roadstead, and Madame Delmar could see in the distance her white sails bellied out by the breeze as she stood on and off making short tacks in order to hold the land. Her heart went out eagerly toward the vessel, which seemed to be pawing the air impatiently like a racehorse, full of fire and ardor, as the word is about to be given. But when she returned to the interior of the island, she found in the mountain gorges a calm, soft atmosphere, bright sunlight, the song of birds and humming of insects, and everything going on as on the day before, heedless of the intense emotions by which she was tortured. Then she could not believe in the reality of her situation, and wondered if her approaching departure were not the illusion of a dream. Toward night the wind fell, the Eugène approached the shore, and at sunset Madame Delmar on her rocky perch heard the report of a cannon echoing among the cliffs. It was the signal of departure on the following day, on the return of the orb then sinking below the horizon. After dinner Monsieur Delmar complained of not feeling well. His wife thought that her opportunity had gone, that he would keep the whole house awake all night, and that her plan would be defeated and then he was suffering. He needed her. That was not the moment to leave him. Thereupon remorse entered her soul, and she wondered who would have pity on that old man when she had abandoned him. She shuddered at the thought that she was about to commit what was a crime in her own eyes, and that the voice of conscience would rise even louder than the voice of society to condemn her. If Delmar, as usual, had harshly demanded her services, if he had displayed an imperious and capricious spirit in his sufferings, resistance would have seemed natural and lawful to the downtrodden slave. But for the first time in his life he submitted to the pain with gentleness, and seemed grateful and affectionate to his wife. At ten o'clock he declared that he felt entirely well, insisted that she should go to her own room, and that no one should pay any further attention to him. Ralph, too, assured her that every symptom of illness had disappeared, and that a quiet night's sleep was the only remedy that he needed. When the clock struck eleven, all was silent and peaceful in the house. Madame Delmar fell on her knees and prayed, weeping bitterly, for she was about to burden her heart with a grievous sin, and from God alone could come such forgiveness as she could hope to receive. She stole softly into her husband's room. He was sleeping soundly. His features were composed, his breathing regular. As she was about to withdraw, she noticed in the shadows another person asleep in a chair. It was Ralph, 
who had risen noiselessly and come to watch over her husband in his sleep to guard against accident poor ralph thought indiana what an eloquent and cruel reproach to me she longed to wake him to confess everything to him to implore him to save her from herself and then she thought of raymond one more sacrifice she said to herself and the most cruel of all the sacrifice of my duty love is woman's virtue it is for love that she glories in her sins it is from love that she acquires the heroism to defy her remorse the more dearly it costs her to commit the crime the more she will have deserved at the hands of the man she loves it is like the fanaticism that places the dagger in the hand of the religious enthusiast she took from her neck a gold chain which came to her from her mother and which she had always worn she gently placed it around ralph's neck as the last pledge of an everlasting friendship then lowered the lamp so that she could see her old husband's face once more and make sure that he was no longer ill he was dreaming at that moment and said in a faint sad voice beware of that man he will ruin you indiana shuddered from head to foot and fled to her room she wrung her hands in pitiable uncertainty then suddenly seized upon the thought that she was no longer acting in her own interest but in raymond's that she was going to him not in search of happiness but to make him happy and that even though she were to be accused for all eternity she would be sufficiently recompensed if she embellished her lover's life she rushed from the house and walked swiftly to the anzol latinier not daring to turn and look at what she left behind her she at once set about disinterring her bark basket and sat upon it trembling and silent listening to the whistling of the wind to the plashing of the waves as they died at her feet to the shrill groaning of the satanite among the great bunches of seaweed that clung to the steep sides of the cliffs but all these noises were drowned by the throbbing of her heart which rang in her ears like a funeral knell she waited a long while she looked at her watch and found that the appointed time had passed the sea was so high and navigation about the shores of the island is so difficult in the best of weather that she was beginning to despair of the courage of the men who were to take her aboard when she spied on the gleaming waves the black shadow of a pirogue trying to make the land but the swell was so strong and the sea so rough that the frail craft constantly disappeared burying itself as it were in the dark folds of a shroud studded with silver stars she rose and answered their signal several times with cries which the wind whisked away before carrying them to the ears of the oarsmen at last when they were near enough to hear her they pulled toward her with much difficulty then paused to wait for a wave as soon as they felt it raise the skiff they redoubled their efforts and the wave broke and threw them up on the beach the ground on which st paul is built is composed of sea sand and gravel from the mountains which the degale river brings from a long distance from its mouth by the strength of its current these heaps of rounded pebbles form submarine mountains near the shore which the waves overthrow and rebuild at their pleasure their constant shifting makes it impossible to avoid them and the skill of the pilot is useless among these constantly appearing and disappearing obstacles large vessels lying in the harbor of st denis often drag their anchors and are cast on shore by the force of the currents 
they have no other resource when this offshore wind begins to blow and to make the turbulent receding waves perilous than to put out to sea as quickly as possible and that is what the eugene had done the skiff bore indiana and her fortunes amid the wild waves the howling of the storm and the oaths of the two rowers who had no hesitation in cursing loudly the danger to which they exposed themselves for her sake two hours ago they said the ship should have been under way and on her account the captain had obstinately refused to give the order they added diverse insulting and cruel reflections but the unhappy fugitive consumed her shame in silence and when one of them suggested to the other that they might be punished if they were lacking in the respect they had been ordered to pay the captain's mistress never you fear was the reply the sharks are the lads we've got to settle accounts with this night if we ever see the captain again i don't believe he'll be any uglier than them talking of sharks said the first i don't know whether one of them has got our scent already but i can see a face in our wake that don't belong to a christian you fool to take a dog's face for a sea-wolf's hold my four-legged passenger we forgot you and left you on shore but blast my eyes if you shall eat up the ship's biscuit our orders only mentioned a young woman nothing was said about a cur as he spoke he raised his oar to hit the beast on the head but madame delmar casting her tearful distraught eyes upon the sea recognized her beautiful ophelia who had found her scent on the rocks and was swimming after her as the sailor was about to strike her the waves against which she was struggling painfully carried her away from the skiff and her mistress heard her moaning with impatience and exhaustion she begged the oarsmen to take her into the boat and they pretended to comply but as the faithful beast approached they dashed out her brains with loud shouts of laughter and indiana saw before her the dead body of the creature who had loved her better than raymond at the same time a huge wave drew the skiff down as it were into the depths of an abyss and the laughter of the sailors changed to imprecation and yells of terror however thanks to its buoyancy and lightness the pirogue righted itself like a duck and climbed to the summit of the wave to plunge into another ravine and mount again to another foaming crest as they left the shore behind the sea became less rough and soon the skiff flew along swiftly and without danger toward the ship thereupon the oarsmen recovered their good humor and with it the power of reflection they strove to atone for their brutal treatment of indiana but their cajolery was more insulting than their anger come come my young lady said one of them take courage you're safe now of course the captain will give us a glass of the best wine in the locker for the pretty parcel we fished up for him the other affected to sympathize with the young lady because her clothes were wet but he said the captain was waiting for her and would take good care of her indiana listened to their remarks in deadly terror without speaking or moving she realized the horror of her situation and could see no other way of escaping the outrages which awaited her than to throw herself into the sea two or three times she was on the point of jumping out of the boat but she recovered courage a sublime courage with the thought it is for him raymond that i suffer all these indignities i must live though i were crushed with shame she put her hand to her oppressed heart 
and touched the hilt of a dagger which she had concealed there in the morning with a sort of instinctive prevision of danger the possession of that weapon restored all her confidence it was a short pointed stiletto which her father used to carry an old spanish weapon which had belonged to a medina sidonia whose name was cut on the blade with the date thirteen hundred doubtless it had rusted in noble blood had washed out more than one affront punished more than one insolent knave with it in her possession indiana felt that she had become a spaniard once more and she went aboard the ship with a resolute heart saying to herself that a woman incurred no risk so long as she had a sure means of taking her own life before submitting to dishonor she avenged herself for the harsh treatment of her guides only by rewarding them handsomely for their fatigue then she went to her cabin and anxiously awaited the hour of departure at last the day broke and the sea was covered with small boats bringing the passengers aboard indiana looked with terror through the porthole at the faces of those who came aboard the eugene she dreaded lest she should see her husband coming to claim her at last the echoes of the last gun died away on the island which had been her prison the ship began to cut her way through the waves and the sun rising from the ocean cast its cheerful rosy light on the white peaks of the salazes as they sank lower and lower on the horizon when they were a few leagues from port a sort of comedy was played on board to avoid a confession of trickery captain random pretended to discover madame delmar on his vessel he feigned surprise questioned the sailors went through the form of losing his temper and of quieting down again and ended by drawing up a report of the finding of a stowaway on board that is the technical term used on such occasions allow me to go no farther with the story of this voyage it will be enough for me to tell you for captain random's justification that despite his rough training he had enough natural good sense to understand madame delmar's character very quickly he ventured upon very few attempts to abuse her unprotected condition and eventually was touched by it and acted as her friend and protector but that worthy man's loyal behavior and indiana's dignity did not restrain the comments of the crew the mocking glances the insulting suspicions and the broad and stinging jests these were the real torments of the unhappy woman during that journey for i say nothing of the fatigue the discomforts the dangers the tedium and the seasickness she paid no heed to them End of chapter 27